0: Because, Lord, we have, uh, we have dialogued with guys, I, I got a letter today from three different guys that are in jail. Um, and uh, as as I read their stories and, and listened to what their, their journey has been, I, I just was grateful, Lord, for the way you've worked in my life, because given their circumstances and the issues that uh, they dealt with early on, uh, no father, no direction. Uh, I very well could be in a cell tonight. All of us could. We're recipients of your grace in so many different ways. We we thank you for the great things that you do in prisons. We thank you for uh, the number of men and women that come to you when, when the bottom of their lives absolutely drop out. Um, they uh, they come to the end of themselves. And uh, Lord, for, for these guys that uh, wrote me today and for this young man who's looking for someone to uh, mentor, quite frankly, to help father him, we pray for them. That you would encourage them, that you'd protect them, that as they are Himmed in for a while, that they would be driven to you and driven to your word, Lord. We uh, we we oftentimes um, look at our lives and look at the situations and look at the circumstances, and um, we we get overwhelmed and we um, we don't understand why we are in the place that we are, and we're disappointed at times. But if we take a step back, we can always get perspective by seeing people that are in much dire circumstances than we are. So even in our adversity, you have been gracious and you have been kind. Uh, there is not unalloyed happiness in this life. If there was, we would wander from you. And your your, your wisdom, Lord, knows what we need. Uh, Your mercies are always there, but yet your hardship is there because it provides balance and it teaches us lessons and it shows us our need of you. Now tonight we ask that you will speak to us. We ask that you will give us a clear word from your Holy Spirit. We're coming in here from different situations, from different um, events of the day, uh, what we have in common is we all need to hear from you, so uh, we are grateful that the Spirit of God has promised to teach us. We count on that tonight, and we pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, last Saturday I never get this right that's on last uh, last Saturday, I knew I was uh, well I was in Pennsylvania and uh, had planned on being there for quite a while and uh, teaching a group of guys up there. But what I didn't plan on last Saturday was spending the afternoon at Gettysburg. I didn't realize that the conference center that I was teaching at was 30 minutes away from Gettysburg, and we had a break in the afternoon. So I wound up spending the day, the afternoon, at Gettysburg. And I had read some couple books on Gettysburg over the years and uh, was vaguely familiar with with some of the history. But to be there, to be there brought it all home. Uh, as you know, that was the, uh, those three days, because it was a running battle for three days around that small little town of Gettysburg. Um, those three days uh, basically were the pivot of the entire Civil War. Um, and, and to actually be there and to actually be able to get a map and to drive around the perimeter uh, there are two ridges up there from which the uh, uh, th- that kind of outlined all of the battles that took place, and uh, they've got the markers and they've got the history written out for you. And I got to tell you something: being there makes all the difference in the world. Uh, to stand on that ridge and to see, um, and to see that open field where they led that charge. And there was an army, the, the southern army had a line of men that was a mile wide heading up that ridge. And there was absolutely no protection. It, it, it was staggering. It, it, was, it was phenomenal. Uh, to actually see where it happened and see the topography, and, and uh, it, it just gives you completely different perspective. I wish we could pick up and, and get on a plane and, and go to Israel Now, maybe you wouldn't want to do that right now. (laughs) And maybe we shouldn't do it right now. But in better times, that's one of the beauties of going to Israel because the events that we're reading about in Joshua and the ongoing battle that was taking place, uh, when you're there and when you can get the outline and see the different uh, uh, perspectives, it makes all the difference in the world. Um, uh, Joshua is a book about them finally taking the land, uh, the land that was promised to them. And it is, a, uh, uh, it, it, it is a book of war. It is a book of battles, uh, which is sort of appropriate because that's sort of the Christian life. Uh, if, have you noticed this? Since you've come to Christ, your life has probably not gotten easier. It, uh, it's a battle. It's a war. Uh, Ephesians 6 Tells us that we're in spiritual battle. Um, it, it it clues us in from the very beginning. In fact, turn over to Ephesians six with me, because we we you know what happens is we get fatigued, and sometimes we get um, we get wounded, and and sometimes we get uh, blindsided, and quite frankly, sometimes. Uh, We lose ground, and uh, it's discouraging. Ephesians 6.10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. I think the old King James says against the wiles of the devil. The idea here is that you may be able to stand firm against the strategies because the enemy has strategies. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There is an unseen battle going on all around us. Um, If you recall, when uh, the king of Aram was um, plotting uh, ambushes against the king of Israel, but every time he'd plot an ambush... He'd show up, and he'd get ambushed. And out of frustration, he said to his counselors, which of you is a traitor? And they said, none of us, O oh king, live forever. Which is what you say to a king in that situation. <laughs> but the man of God reads your thoughts in his bedchamber, speaking of Elisha. He said, well, who is this guy? Well, he's the prophet of God. He lives down in Dothan. Well, let's go get him. They take their army, they go down there. Next morning, uh, Elisha's servant goes out to get the Jerusalem post. He grabs the paper, he looks up, and the entire, the entire town, hills, covered with the, with the army, uh, the enemy army, he runs and gets Elisha. And he, said, he shows him, and Elisha and so says, now don't worry, because there are more of us than there are of them." And I'm sure this guy thought, what in the world is he talking about? (laughs) And then Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes that he might see. And what did he suddenly see? He saw the myriads and myriads, the hundreds of thousands of angels that were around them, protecting them, and the Spirit of God struck that foreign army struck them blind, and they led them right into the courtyard of the king of Israel. Uh, There is an unseen battle. There is an unseen war going around us. It's just not the stuff we see. It's the stuff we don't see. And you should understand that is true in your life, and it's true in my life, and it's true uh, in the whole world. There are, Colin Powell has been, shuttling and trying to go back and forth and getting this all worked out. What Colin Powell doesn't understand is that there are unseen forces that he's up against. There's a spiritual battle. There's a demonic presence that's there. Now, we're not, we're not concerned here who's going to win because that's been established and that's been clear from day one. Um, But in God's economy, he is allowing this all to be worked out. Um, Notice verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore. It's the third time that's been said here in a few verses. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth And having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth." Why? Because Paul was in battle. Paul was in in the war. Uh, "...to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak." There's a guy in warfare. There's a guy that's a POW uh, in the human sense of things but God is still in charge. God is still working. Uh, God is, uh, is our commander-in-chief, and he is leading us. And Joshua, uh, quite frankly, is a picture of all that, this, this literal warfare that took place as they went into the land. Um, we, we've been working our way through and uh, uh, looking at these different battles. Uh, what we're going to do tonight in the section that, that is before us is um, a number of years ago, Mary and I uh, spent some time in Maui. I was over there speaking, and we just we were able to take a vacation after that. And there was a guy in this church that uh, had a helicopter service. And one afternoon, um, we flew with him around the island of Maui. And, uh, you know, in a very short period of time, we got the lay of the land real quick. And Maui is a remarkable island because it, it's so radically different. I remember uh, we flew into the rainforest on the northwest side. There is a rainforest in Maui. Uh, They get over 120 inches of rain a year. And we flew in and into those canyons and these magnificent waterfalls dropping hundreds of feet and looked around and, I mean, it's just the humidity. It's just dripping. And then he elevated and we went over the other side of the island, maybe 20 miles, uh, where there was a volcano up there. And the, the topography is absolutely the opposite of what we just saw. Uh, there is an area on the other side of the island where they shoot movies. Whenever they do something uh, where they want to show astronauts on the moon, they go to this section of Maui. And the rainfall is minuscule. Uh, uh, So so we saw these two contrasts. Then we went to the eastern side, the northeastern side, where there is a road that's called the Road to Hana. The Road to Hana, what is it, 27 miles or something? But it'll take you six hours to get there because it is this tiny, curving, twisting, gut-wrenching, upchuck, Keeping from your heels road. You don't want to drive the road to Hana after a big meal. You don't want to drive it on your honeymoon the first day because you're going to look bad. You're going to be pulling over and kicking up your heels. Uh, takes a long time to get to Hana. In fact, they got t-shirts. It's, you buy a t-shirt that says, I survived the road to Hana. But on a helicopter, it's not bad. You fly over and you say, oh, yeah, that's it. Oh, okay. So, so. We're going to kind of helicopter in Joshua tonight. Now, we left off at Joshua ten fifteen uh, last week, and we saw that God once again went before them. Every time Joshua fought a battle, it was different. God never gave him the same strategy twice. Every time they took the city, every time they had a campaign, Every time they had uh, a new city to take, they had new instructions from the commander in chief. Uh, so they couldn't rest on their laurels. They they had to keep in tune. They had to keep listening, uh, and they had to be they had to be obedient. Uh, in um, l- let's do a flyover here. Um, the first major city that they took when they came in was Jericho. And in terms of the layout of what is now Israel, Jericho is roughly in the center. And as they crossed the Jordan River at flood stage, as we've talked about, miraculously they crossed. Then God says, as a victory celebration, circumcise all your men. That had to be, uh, that had to be disappointing. <laughs> but they did it because God said to do it. One of the things we picked up in this study is that God's timing often is really bad in terms of what we would choose. Uh, They crossed the Jordan River at the worst possible time. Then when they crossed it, because it was flood season, then when they crossed it, God said now, and Jericho is only about seven or eight miles away, now circumcise all the the men. That's, That's not real good timing, because by doing that, they made themselves vulnerable to this city But once again, you obey God and his timing is his issue, not our issue. Then they take Jericho. Then, after taking Jericho, they go up and take Ai. And they had a defeated Ai because when they took Jericho, a guy by the name of Achan, God said, don't take any of the spoil, it all goes under the treasury of the Lord. But Achan violated the ban, took a beautiful robe, took some gold and silver, uh, then they went up and fought Ai. They lost 36 men because there was sin in the camp. When they figured that out, they had to discipline Achan. Then they go up and take Ai again, and God goes ahead of them and God gives them a victory. And as we saw last week, there was a uh, um, there was another battle because you see, after Ai, there was this group of guys called the Gibeonites, and the Gibeonites figured out real quick that there's no way in the world we can take these guys, but the surrounding kings in that region in the southern area, they all got together and they're going to take Israel. Well, the Gibeonites go to Joshua and what they do is they dress themselves up and they camouflage themselves and they wear old clothes and battered up sandals and they've got uh, bread that's crusty and moldy. Now, they only live six miles away, but they deceived him. And they said, we've come from a far country. And their whole purpose was to make a covenant, which they did. They conned, they conned Joshua. I mean, they pulled out the Krispy Kremes and they said, when we started our journey, these were warm. (laughs) But there's mold all over them. Now, a lot of you guys would just go ahead and eat them (laughs) because they're still good. But they had this well-crafted deception and Joshua bought into it because in the midst of all the success, a godly man forgot to consult the Lord. He forgot to check in with the Lord. Uh, We've made that mistake. So what happens is they make a covenant with the Gibeonites, which they never should have made, when they discovered a few days later that the Gibeonites were actually a part of the people of the land that they were supposed to destroy. A lot of the people grumbled and got upset for the first time at Joshua like they used to grumble against Moses. But Joshua kept his word because he had given an oath and he had made a covenant. And God actually blessed him because he had kept his word. Then what happens is, a group of these southern kings decide they're going to attack the people of Gibeon because the Gibeonites made a deal with the Israelites. So these Amalekites, these Amorites, they attack Gibeon. Gibeon sends out a 911 to Joshua and says, you've got to come and help us. And because he had made a deal with them, he, this is what we learned last week. He marches his guys all night, an all-night march, 25 miles, up horrendous terrain, 4,000 feet ascent in elevation. He gets there, uh, takes on these fierce warriors, and God does two miracles. First thing God does is God sends hailstones, and more of that foreign army were killed by hailstones than they were by the swords of the uh, Israelites. Secondly... God caused, uh, answered Joshua's prayer, and the sun stood still. And uh, how in the world did that happen? I don't know. And you can read different guys, and they'll try to explain this, or they'll try to give you some kind of. Th- th- you know, they're always trying to explain away these miracles that God did. But uh, you don't explain them away. They're just God utilizing his power. Um, that's where we left off last week, was in ten fifteen. Um, now what happens? Now what we're going to do is we're going to fly. Because beginning in 10 verses 16 to 27, if you kind of scan over that, you will see that what that gives in that last section of chapter 10, you got the five kings who hide themselves after the, after the two miracles, and they're, and they're running. Well what happens in the rest of that chapter? you get more information about how they wrapped up uh, that uh, battle against those kings and what they did and how they pursued them and hung them and all that stuff. Um, in 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 chapter 10, verses 28 through 39, you get a list of the specific cities that Joshua defeated in the rest of the southern campaign. Something we got to understand, and we're not familiar, most of us, with the geography. When he went into Jericho, the first city he took, he went Jericho, then he went Ai. He basically cut the promised land in half. So what he first does is, and what we've been reading is, he's dealing with the southern kings. That's what that's all about. So uh, chapter 10 is, is basically telling us about the southern campaign. Now in 11, what's going to happen is, he turns to the north. This is a strategic change. Um, what happens in 11 is not dissimilar to what happened in 10. Because these kings in the north did the same thing the kings in the south did. These kings were usually fighting against each other. They had their little fiefdoms, they had their, uh, uh, they had their own arenas that they controlled, they had their turf. Uh, you know, some mafia families run New York, some mafia families run Chicago. Philadelphia. You know what I'm talking about. Well, these guys had their own turf. They had their own areas that they controlled. But because of the threat of these Israelites, they get a consortium and they get a, uh, an alliance together. And that's what chapter 11, verse 1 is all about. Then it came about when Jabin, king of Hazor, heard of it. Now, you've got to understand something about Hazor. Hazor was the city in the north. Hazor Hazor was the city in the entire promised land. And I'll tell you why it was the city. Um, Jericho comprised, Jericho had this tremendous double wall around it. Jericho was only about eight acres. Uh, Megiddo, which you can still visit today, uh, Megiddo was about 20 acres. Hazor, which is to the north, about eight miles north of the Sea of Galilee, Hazor was 200 acres. I mean, this was the New York City. This was the city. So this particular king, who's kind of the big dog up north, normally he'd just take them on himself because, um, well, he was the big guy. He was the Giuliani, if you will. Uh, New York City has resources that that Turlock, California, doesn't have. It, It has resources that Brownsville doesn't have. But this guy is so concerned that he gets everybody in the north and they create this uh, alliance to take on Israel. And what we're going to read about here, specifically in verses 4 and 5, is the greatest battle that Joshua ever faced in his life. Uh, Basically, it um, it describes in verse 2, you know, he pulls these kings together, it says, unto the kings were of the north in the hill country and in the Arabah, south of Kinneroth, which is down by the Sea of Galilee, and in the lowland and on the heights of Dor in the west, to the Canaanite on the east and on the west. Again, this doesn't mean a lot to us because we haven't been there. But it's the whole northern area. Uh, Some of this would include the Golan Heights that we hear about now. You see, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which Syria used to own, and they'd lobbed mortar shells down on the Israeli farmers, but now Israel owns it, but they're trying to work a deal. This deal the Arabs are offering Israel right now is, you give us that land back, that's the deal. I don't think Sharon's going to go for that. So you got the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Jebusite. They're all coming together. Look at verse 4. And they came out, they and all their armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. So all of these kings, having agreed to meet, came and encamped together at the water of Merom to fight against Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid because of them, for tomorrow at this time I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all the people of war with him came upon them suddenly by the waters of Merom and attacked them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand uh, of Israel. This, This was the biggest battle that Joshua ever faced. Now, let's stop here for a minute. Prior to the biggest battle the biggest assembled army. These guys were as numerous as, as the sand on the seashore. Absolutely overwhelming odds. Prior to the battle in 11, what had happened in 10, what we just flew over? Well, he had the big battles at Jericho, he had the battles at Ai, he fought the guys at Gibeon, but then, but then you've got other cities that he took that are listed at the end of 10. Um, We don't get all the particulars, but he kept knocking them off city by city by city by city. Let me tell you what happened to him. What happened to him, every time he took one of these cities, and it's what happens to us, uh, our faith increases. You know one of the things that builds faith is seeing God answer prayer. One of the things that gives us hope and confidence in the Lord that he will uh, honor his word is that we see him do that if we're never in situations, and let's back up here. All right, let's back up here. Because they had these battles, and we're sitting here in a nice air-conditioned room, and we've had plenty to eat, and we've had showers today. Uh, We're gonna sleep in a nice bed tonight. We're not at war. Uh, So we're reading this. Oh yeah, this is good stuff. But these guys are fighting the battle. These guys are dealing with this battle after battle after battle. This is tough stuff. This is hard work. Guys get fatigued in battle. Guys get tired in battle. Guys get tired of the battle. Uh, When you're in the battle, what you would like is a break from battle. Uh, and, And sometimes, even in our lives, there's no break. Stuff just keeps coming. You kind of deal with one thing at work and that kind of settles out and then The next thing happens, Um, I'll be honest with you, Uh, we we had a stretch over over the holidays, and and I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm going to say here, because in the midst of, of our hardship, we have a joy and a confidence that God is at work, and He is. And God is good to us. But normally we're going to be in some kind of battle. To not be fighting, there's so, that, that, that's kind of unusual for a believer. Because it's the nature of what's going on. Um, it's tough stuff that's going on. And when you get serious about Christ, you've got an enemy who's serious about you. And, and so is he gonna, are you gonna get some heat where you work sometimes? Yeah. Uh, uh, is he going to try and uh, hit you from time to time on your integrity? Yeah, that's going to happen. You're going to have stuff that's going to come up. Uh, a lot of times, if he can't get to us, he'll get to us through our kids. He has a unique way of doing that. And you see, these are all battles, and these are all issues that we fight. Um, wh- what happened was, over the holidays, we, th- th- this year, we, we just had a great time. And... And I looked and I thought, gosh. I mean, it was great. It was one of the best holiday times we've had. In for me personally, wasn't a lot of stress. There'd been a lot of stress last few years over those. And and I, you know, and I kind of had to struggle each at Christmas and to really okay, let's get into this, you know. And but man, this was great this year. And. Uh, yeah, it, was, it was wonderful. A lot of good things happening. And, and you know, to be honest with you, right after the first of the year, I kept thinking to myself, okay, this can't go on. Not that I'm a pessimist, but just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you. <laughs> you ever heard that? Don't get me wrong. I mean, I was grateful to God, but you know what? That's not the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is you're dealing with stuff. And you got some tough issues. And I didn't, quite frankly, I didn't have any. And I knew that wasn't going to continue. I knew it from the Scriptures. So did I enjoy the respite? Did I enjoy the R&R? Yeah. But I knew we were going to hit it. And you know what? That, uh, I think it was in February, when I came home from doing this study, and Mary was on the phone with her mom, and she got off the phone and she said, my mom found out today she's got bone marrow cancer. Gosh. And then the next night, my mom called, and my dad was going in for some outpatient surgery on his sinuses. No big deal. There was a little something in there, but it was no big deal, they weren't worried about it. Well, my mom says, guess what? Dad's got, Dad's got a, malignant, a malignant tumor in there. And there we were, you see? So suddenly we got a a whole different set of issues than I'd ever dealt with before. My folks always been healthy. Mary's folks always been healthy. So suddenly her mom in Florida and my dad in California, suddenly we got cancer on both sides. Uh, That's gonna happen, that's gonna happen. Now, does that mean we shut down and we lose our joy and all that? No, because God's sovereign over all these things and God's at work. What I'm saying is guys, Uh, Before the biggest battle of his life, he had a series of battles that came in pretty rapid and quick succession. We get tired. A lot of you guys are tired in here tonight. You're kind of worn out from the battle, you see? Um, But there's a reason for these battles, because you know what these battles do? Every time you fight a battle, you learn something new about God. Every time you fight a battle, you learn something about the faithfulness of God. Every time uh, you you fight a battle, there's there's another level of growth. There's another level of experience. And I'll tell you what else is happening. Uh, What James said is taking place. Remember James in chapter 1, what is it, verse 2? He says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance or perseverance. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We're called to be warriors for Christ. So we're gonna fight. in order to fight, and to fight well, and in order to grow, and mature, and gain experience, you've got you to go through battle. But see, so here's what happens. You gain endurance. Endurance is something that has to be developed in our lives. So, any of you guys here ever run, anybody here a marathon runner? You ever run, Anyone here ever run a marathon? Yeah. These guys, look at them. There's something wrong with these guys. (laughs) But we admire them because they had the discipline to run a marathon. That's quite a deal. Um, I should have brought this to me. I just read this today. I read about a guy who has won the Hawaiian, what do they call that, Iron Man thing? He's won it like two or three times. I'm going to do this from memory, but I think I got this right. When that guy trains, here's what he does. When he trains, he runs 17 miles a day, he swims eight miles a day, and he bikes another 20 miles every day. Now that guy needs to get a job. That's a lot. I mean, daily, I I, I mean, I wish I had it to verify. I'm telling you, that's what the guy did. I mean, I don't know how long that takes. I mean, to me, that'd take weeks to do that. But notice this. Notice this. The guy doesn't get in his Suburban and drive 17 miles, does he? He doesn't doesn't get in the Suburban, He doesn't turn the air on. He doesn't adjust the uh, CD and, and drive. You know, and he drives aerobically. That's not how you do it. To develop the endurance that you need for a triathlon, what do you have to do? You have to be in the battle. Those guys put themselves in the battle. Those guys put themselves through pain. Why? Because when you train like that, when you get to the triathlon, that's no sweat because you do that every day. And you you have tuned yourself and developed an endurance so that it makes the actual battle. See, he's been through all kinds of battles. So when he gets to the big battle, he's ready. That's what God does with us. That's what God did with Joshua. Joshua 11, it's the biggest battle of his life. Because God is a good God, he, a lot of times we don't even realize what's happening is we're being trained. We're going through this stuff because God is overseen and he knows what he has for us. He knows the work that he has for us to do. And we get tired and we weary and we go, how long is this going to go on? My gosh. I mean, there's just, because you see, we got a listing in 10 of all the battles. We got a listing of his campaign. You know what all those battles do? God gave him every one of those southern cities. That list that we flew over, you know what that list is? It's a list that gives glory to God. It's a history of what God has done. Okay, so here we are. Let's stop for a minute and let's think. Because some of us are tired, we've been battling, we've been dealing with issues with uh, marriage stuff, or business stuff, or health stuff, or kids stuff, whatever it is. We're kind of tired. Well, let's stop for a minute. Let's look back over the last year. What have you seen God? What have you seen God do for you in the last year? Where were you a year ago? Or were you in life do you remember a year ago what the issues were in your life what was the stuff that was looming large in your life 12 months ago okay all right now start thinking through sequentially spring Then summer Did god do anything for you in the spring last year Did he do anything last summer for you at all what about the fall get through the holiday first year yeah you've seen him now now are you are you still fighting yeah is it over yet campaign over no but has there been victory and has there been the activity of God and has God brought you through yeah all right let's back up two years what was happening two years ago Where were you? Were you living here, or were you somewhere else? Did you have another job? Uh, Three years ago. Where were you? Did you live here? Did you go to church here? You didn't go to church here. There was no church here. (laughs) Just a field here. Just take this church. What's God done? See, here we are tonight. How old is this thing now? Three years, three and a half? Three years. Yeah. See, a lot of us didn't even know each other. We're in different places. Different things going on in our life three years ago. But here we are. Look what God's done in this church in three years. Where were you five years ago? Um, You see what I'm saying? You look back, and you know what? We've all been through some battles. We've been through some tough stuff. But I'm going to tell you something. You're a better man now than you were five years ago. There's more endurance. There's more growth. There's more maturity. There's more wisdom. Yeah, you got some scars. And yeah, you've had some wounds. And you've had your heart broken. But you have been developing endurance. And a lot of times you don't even realize you're de- developing endurance. That had to be pretty, that had to, that had to feel pretty good to get that Southern campaign taken care of. That's an accomplishment. That's great. But now they got the guys up north. Isn't that encouraging? That just when you get them mopped up, then here's the biggest battle of your life. Um, But there's a confidence. There's a confidence. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I think, I, I don't know how to quite say this, but I, I, I'm learning to trust God. Stuff that 10 years ago would have thrown me, and I want to say this carefully. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't want to. But but I think I can say this and give glory to God. That Stuff that 10 years ago would have thrown me doesn't throw me to the degree that it did. Why? Because there's a history of watching God work. And there's a history of looking back and facing challenges and facing battles and facing Jerichos and facing AIs and saying, I'll never get through it. I don't know how, th- don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how. And you know what? I don't know how, but God knows. And you get down the road and you look back and you see, how many times in the last five years have you said, I don't know how this, I don't know how I'm going to get through this and you've gotten through it. Because God comes in and God fights for you and God goes ahead of you. See those things give glory, they do two things. Those things give glory to God in our lives. Every one of those battles gave glory to God. and. They create endurance in our lives. Endurance. You know how you'll see somebody um, who is in uh, really difficult circumstances and you, you hear their story and you think to yourself, I could never go through that. Yes, you could. By the grace of God, by the mercy of God. I don't see Paul here tonight. Paul is usually here, and uh, that's okay. Paul's, Paul uh, has Lou Gehrig's disease. He's almost here every Wednesday night. And uh, last Wednesday night afterwards, um, Paul and a couple other guys, we went we, out to Sonic just because we're into health food. <laughs> and, um, I didn't know Paul, hadn't really talked to Paul, and I don't think he'd mind. I'm not, this is his story. But uh, Paul's a doctor, anesthesiologist, um, pretty good athlete, uh, got a family, and he started telling me his story about what happened to him when he realized he had this disease. And uh, he blew me away last week. Because he said to me, he, he said, you know, I'd never choose this, but it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And then for the next 15 or 20 minutes. And, and, and Paul can't speak the way that he used to because he doesn't have the control that he used to. So uh, it's hard for him to speak, and he does a great job. And you really gotta, you got to work hard to listen because he can't articulate the way that he used to. But I'll tell you what came through loud and clear. This guy has a grateful spirit for what God's done in his life. I've thought about that all week. How would I handle that? but, But you know what God's done? God's taken him through some battles. And what he has learned is the goodness of God. I was talking to someone this week who's had some stuff happen in their life and they are questioning whether or not God is good. And, and then they were questioning suffering in the world. Well, if God's a good God, then how can he allow this, and how can he allow this, and how can he allow this, if God is good? And I said, let me tell you about a guy that I talked with the other night. And so you'd look at him, and you would question the goodness of God. By his own testimony, he spoke of the goodness of God. Because God is giving him victory in areas of his life now that he never had victory before by his own testimony. It's tough stuff, isn't it? So is there a battle? Yeah, there's a battle. And you know what's interesting? All these battles you've been fighting, a lot of times these battles are getting you ready Boy, isn't this encouraging. <laughs> huh? We're not Robert Schulering tonight, are we? We're not Norman Vincent Peeling tonight. You know? Nothing wrong with positive thinking. You don't want to be a pessimist. You know, you know what a pessimist pessimist is the guy who said, I was going to read a book on positive thinking, and then I thought, well, good You Talk about Paul, and the first thing comes, gosh, is that going to happen to me? Probably not. You see? That's just the battle God and His sovereignty has chosen for Paul to fight. We're gonna have different. See, James says, count a little joy when you encounter various battles, various trials. Different stuff for different guys. But the issue is the same, you see. Um, he gives us, he gives us all these experiences because at some point you're gonna be one, you're gonna be in one that's absolutely overwhelming. And let's take a step back. Before he ever goes up north. And fights these guys, this alliance of these guys at Hazor. He's been fighting Jericho and Ai and all. You know, hey, even going to the Promised Land in the first place was impossible because they don't have they don't have the they don't have the army, they don't have the weapons, they don't have the chariots. But God shows them victory. Now they get to Hazor. All right, now we got to look at this battle, okay? Because this is great stuff. Here's what you got to understand about. Uh, These kings, this consortium of kings that are focused around the king of Hazor. um, The odds against Israel here are absolutely overwhelming. One of the guys that gives us insight into what happened here is uh, the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus. Um, Listen to what Josephus says. He says, the combined forces of the Hazor armies were 300,000 in, infantry, 10,000 cavalry, and now catch this, 20,000 war chariots. Now you just take the last one by itself and you're in trouble. The 20,000 war chariots. This is sort of like we see on we see on CNN the Israelis going in with their tanks and you see these other guys throwing rocks at this is the kind of, now, now they got more than rocks, they just don't show it on TV. But, kind of get that in your mind. 20,000 war chariots, 300,000 infantry, 10,000 cavalry. Um, uh, Paul uh, N. says this, he says, The war chariots were probably like those of Egypt and Syria. They were made of wood, but nailed and tipped with iron, and armed with iron sieves affixed to poles. You, you, um, they they have those deals coming out of the axles. You've seen those, you know, with those razor-sharp, you know, I mean, they just cut you to death. They just, so, so, you got guys in battle, and they run those chariots through there, and you can't even get close to those guys, because it'll just take your leg right off. 20,000 of those. Um, now, what's interesting here, um, What's interesting is that when Joshua went to meet these guys and God told him, he said, again, look at verse 6. Do not be afraid because of them. For tomorrow at this time I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. Let me ask you this. Do you think Joshua believed that? I mean, after all he'd been through and all he had seen God do, do you think he had trouble sleeping that night? I'll be honest with you, I don't think he did. Because he had seen God work time and time and time and time again. And maybe early on this would have thrown him. It wasn't throwing him now. I think there was a confidence he knew that God was going to do exactly what God said he was going to do. I don't think this guy was sweating at all. I don't think he was worried. I don't think he was anxious. Uh, Although, let me ask you this question. How many chariots did Israel have? Zip. You know why they didn't have chariots? Turn over to Deuteronomy seventeen. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's talking. Uh, it, it, it well, you just see it here. There was there was an instruction given to uh, given to. Uh, uh, Israel, that in in particular talked about the time when they'd have a king. But notice verse 16. It says, Moreover, speaking of the king of Israel, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord has said, you shall never again return that way. Now what's the big deal about that? Why would they want to multiply horses? Because horses pull cherries. They didn't want them, God didn't want them, God did not want them to have the latest military technological advancement. Because if they did, they would depend on it. And when they won the battle, quite frankly, who would get the credit? So what God did was, God put an injunction on them that the stuff that the other nations have, you can't have. I'm not going to give it to you. Um, Psalm 20, verses 6 through 9. Speak of the same thing. The writer says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. Save, O oh Lord, may the king answer us in the day that we call. Yeah, I- interestingly enough, in, back in, in Joshua, um, what are we in, 11? Go back there for a minute. So they're going ag- up against this unbelievably strong military presence. And notice... Notice what God says here. Because, you know, when you have a battle like this, God's already said you're going to win. But one of the, one of the uh, benefits of winning a war is that you get the spoil, is that you get the trophies. Um, don't, I'm in verse 6 of 11. Don't be afraid because of them, for tomorrow at this time I will de- deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. That just fits in with Deuteronomy. Seventeen. Yeah, you're going to, all that stuff, those 20,000 chariots, I'm going to deliver into your hand. Burn them. Burn them. Let me give you an application of this principle. Sometimes, God will not allow us to have legitimate things that other people have. Let me say that again. Sometimes God will not allow us to have legitimate things that other people have. Uh, that might be health. Your health might be taken away from you. Self a good thing? Yeah. That's a gift from God. You'll look around, you'll see other people that are your age, they've got health. They're not dealing with what you're dealing with but God has taken it away from you. Uh, Sometimes uh, it might be adequate finances. Um, That's that's a legitimate thing, but you're in a period of time where that's not there. Um, It it, it can be a marriage issue. It can be, um, uh, as we've said, uh, an issue with kids. It can be be your career. It can be having a job. That's a legitimate thing. That's a biblical thing. That's a scriptural thing. But sometimes you find yourself without a job. Now, why do these things happen? Because there are times in our lives where God, things that are legitimate, He takes away for the same reason He took the chariots and horses away from them. Those are are issues that come into our lives that force us to total dependence on Him. And we don't like them when they come. We don't like them, and we're just thinking, how long is this going to go on, and when is this going to be over? But it's how God works to keep us anchored and keep secured to Him. that makes sense? you got to understand. So He controls all those things. They don't happen randomly. If you've lost your health, it's not because you don't have enough faith. That's not... You know, there's this malarkey that goes on. If you're sick and you're not healthy, it's because you don't have enough faith. Tell that to the Apostle Paul. That's not how it works. God is creating a dependence upon him. Now, i got, I got to move quickly here. What's that clock? There's a glare on that clock. Okay. Somebody take that thing down, will you? <laughs> Chapter 11... Let's finish this thing up here. Chapter 11, verses 16 to 23. Oh, and by the way, by the way, they take these guys on, and what happens? They whip their tails, is what happens. Uh, God delivers them. Look at verse 9. And Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. Why did God keep blessing this guy? Because he kept being obedient. God kept blessing. Lord said, here's what I want you to do, and he'd do it. You know, quite frankly, this isn't real tough stuff, guys. Is it? You're kind of picking up a theme here. You're kind of picking up, I am. (laughs) You know, I want to live in obedience to the Lord. You want God's hand of favor on you? Then obey him. Obey him. You see, it's not smart to disobey. It's really kind of stupid. You're asking for it you're asking for trouble. You see? That's why God has given us his word. So, you know, some guys meet some gal at work and things aren't going great at, at home and the marriage is, you know, not real hot and, you know, it's kind of dull and you're not much romance and there's not a whole lot of, uh, you know. I mean, he's, I mean, it's just kind of dead. It didn't used to be that way, but it's that way now. And then you come across this other gal and you meet her and, you, you know, and, you just enjoy talking with her and then all of a sudden there's a little bit more and you're pondering this and all of that. And Proverbs says, you don't understand you're like an ox going to the slaughter. You see? Your chumping carcass is going to be hanging off a meat hook in cold storage. And you think that's going to make you happy. That's not going to make you happy. That's going to screw up your life. God says don't do that. Go read what Solomon had to say. Solomon had everything we'd all like to have. Solomon would have been on the, fortune, on the cover of Fortune every week. Because the guy had unbridled success. There was no stopping this guy. I mean, everything he did. I mean, the guy did everything. And what, is, and what does he basically sum up in Ecclesiastes? What's it all about? Love love the woman God gives to you, enjoy your days together, and love God. That's it. From the wisest man on the face of the earth. Who, by the way, had gone after a few women. And whose carcass hung all over Israel. See, he learned it the hard way. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Um, gosh. You, you got the whole campaign summed up. Basically, here's what happens in 11. Here's what happens. They took the guys in the south, then they go up and they totally take the guys in the north. Totally. And then you, you got kind of a summary of the whole deal. Notice. Um, Notice, if you would, uh, what if, you know, again, you can kind of oversee this. You can helicopter it. You know, they, they took these guys. Uh, look at verse 15. It says, um, just as the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Thus Joshua took all that land. All those guys that were facing him, that consortium, they got the chariots, they got the cavalry. He took the suckers. Why? Because God went ahead and fought for him. So that's a great thing about the Christian life. God goes ahead and fights our battles. The battle is not ours. The battle is the Lord. So whatever your battle is right now, and you're weary, and you're fatigued, and you're trying to figure out, let me tell you something. Is there a human element? Yeah, there's a human element. But let me tell you something. There better be a, a divine element, or we're, gonna, we're not going to make it. And the fact of the matter is, there is a divine element. God has resources that we don't even know about. Now, he gives a description in verse 16. Just Joshua took all that land, the hill country, and all the Negev, and all the land of Goshen. I mean, he's he's laying out the whole thing. He took it. Verse 18, Joshua waged war a long time with all these kings, basically about seven years. Uh, There was not a city which made peace with the sons of Israel except the Hivites living in Gibeon. They took them all in battle. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts, to meet Israel in battle in order that he might utterly destroy them, that they might receive no mercy, that he might destroy them, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. That's kind of tough stuff because it says the Lord hardened their heart. But you know what's interesting? That's sort of what happened with Pharaoh. There's a process. Ten times it says, ten times it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Ten times it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I got a great quote here. Where did I find this? Listen to this. This is like from some guy in 600 years ago. I don't know who it is, but it's good. He says, Jehovah is never said to harden the heart of a good man or of one who is set to do righteousness. It is always those who are bent on evil whom God hardens. And once again, once again, did God harden the heart of everybody? No, these guys could have thrown down their swords and say, I want to know this God like Rahab did. And she got put in the genealogy through Joseph that leads to Christ. Why? Because she... You know, you know what's interesting? You got the truth. There is this God. You got the light of this God. It's like the sun. When my kids were little, they had this stuff... Uh, they played with this stuff called Play-Doh. They were, you know, doing all kinds of things with it. And I remember one time I went outside... I didn't realize they'd had their Play-Doh outside and it was a summer day and I went out there in the backyard and it was like at one o'clock the next afternoon and I'm going to tell you that Play-Doh, it was like rock because that sun hardens that, that clay, that dough. Now, let me ask you this. What if you were to take a stick of butter and put it out on that backyard table? next to the clay. Same sun, same light, same heat. What's it gonna do to the butter? It's gonna melt it. What's it gonna do to the clay? It's gonna harden it. Why? Because of the makeup of the butter and the makeup of the clay. God never hardens hearts that melt before Him. He responds. But hearts that harden before Him be hard. I'll show you something great as we wrap up this 11. This is really good. This, I got pumped on this. Look at verse 21. You, and you know, you know what's great about the Bible? You ever find these little nuggets? You're just kind of reading along, and all of a sudden, I mean, you're just kind of reading. I mean, this morning, I, I, I'm working on all this stuff, and I'm reading, and I'm, I'm kind of zipping along. And I'm reading 21, and by the time, there was so much stuff in 11, by the time I got to 21, I was a little fatigued. I really, I really needed a cup of coffee. And all of a sudden, I read this. Then Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua, he uttered and destroyed them with their cities. Right there. Didn't that just change your life? You say, what is, what's this guy drinking in his coffee? Let me tell you why that's significant. Then Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim. You know the Anakim were? The Anakim were the giants in the land. It was the giants in the land that roughly 45 years before, 10 of the 12 spies saw. And when they saw them, they said, we can't take these guys. They're too strong for us." In, in, in the Hebrew it literally means the the long-necked tall ones. See the ones they the ones that kept them, the giants that kept them from going into the land, Joshua took. He took them. That got me pumped. I'll tell you what got me pumped. Sometimes we got to take on the hazors. And sometimes we got to take on the anarchy. We've all got giants in our lives that we're facing. They're insurmountable. They're huge. They intimidate us. They overwhelm us. Let me ask you this tonight. What's the giant in your life? What's the giant that puts fear in your heart? What's the giant that you lose sleep over? Might be a relationship. Be a hundred different things. You've got the same God. You've got the same God, Joshua. See, guys, these things were written for our instruction as examples to us. Is it cancer? Is it Lou Gehrig's disease? What is it? But he's a sovereign God. He's a God that's able to deliver. Uh, He's a God that takes us through hard times, but he builds endurance so that we can be used. As as we're facing the giants, let's be careful to do exactly as Joshua did. Let's be careful to hamstring the horses. Let's be careful to burn the chariots. Let's be careful to do exactly what God has told us to do. If you're not clear what to do next, Go back to the last clear thing that you've got from the scriptures, and do that. You can't miss. and let him fight for you. And then we'll get together in a year. and you tell us the story about how God took that giant. You guys encouraged? Anybody pumped a little bit? Yeah? You got a little more hope? That's the name of the game. That's the name of the game. We're blessed men, you know that? Of all men in this city, we're blessed. Because we're, you know what, we're not here reading the Koran tonight. We're reading the Word of God. So Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for putting this stuff in the Bible. This stuff really happened. These guys really fought these battles. And and they had wives and they had kids. And they were guys just like us. And you kept putting them in situations where they had to trust you. And you kept giving them different orders and different directives. And you kept them on their knees. And, Lord, they got weary. And they got tired of battle. And they got tired of the the conflict. And they got tired just of of having to deal with the stuff. That's how some of us feel. But Lord, let us not forget that you're building us in the process, that you're maturing us, that you're giving us endurance. And for the guys that are really facing off some giants tonight, encourage their hearts. That you have not forgotten them, that you have not abandoned them, that you are not uh, ignorant of them, but you're with them. Give them great hope in your word tonight. And thank you, Lord. Thank you that we have this Bible to read, that it tells us about you and your character, and it gives us hope for the future. We pray these things in Jesus' name, the name that's above every name. We pray in his name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. We'll do it next week.